jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out Coronavirus fears. It's very I th- real. I think I have to quit the internet, is what I'm saying. It's, I mean, should, it never should have started. It's just, it's too much. We never should. It was, uh, it doesn't help that I've been showing all these 90s movies. And every time I look back and I'm like, it was a better time. It yeah. was a better time. And that was back when the internet was just stupid shit. Like when we were watching um, My Anus is Bleeding. When you were over here. Yeah. Like, remember when that was it? When it wasn't fucking Twitter? Yeah. I mean... So I I log in today, Stacey. uh Uh-oh. I was going to talk about Tub Girl, but go ahead. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) A better time! It's a better, more innocent time. When that's all you had to be afraid of was like, oh no, don't, I, oh go, I got forwarded another fucking email from my auntie, or oh no, don't click this link my friend sent me because I'm pretty sure it's going to be an old man's prolapse. I open up the Twitter. What do I see? I had to send you the screenshot. Jason yeah. Blum, ecstatic, and this is breaking news. <laughs> Jason Blum, well, it's breaking news from February 27th, actually. Jason Blum, <laughs> my, our favorite movie producer, tweeting uh, in his excitement with multiple exclamation points, and yet no numeric one following it, a, a screenshot of the Invisible Man Rotten Tomatoes score, which we all know means nothing, but 91%, good for you, for uh, Invisible Man. I still kind of, I feel baited by this movie because I like Lee Wannell and I love Elizabeth Moss. Even though she's a Scientologist, she gets me every time. So I'm like, maybe I want to see it, but I also don't know if I want to. Who knows? Anyway, he tweets that uh, some some fucking Twitter incel, because it's the land of the incels. Insensitive Chad tweets back, really don't have a desire to see it. After that shit-ass Black Christmas and its identity politics, I'm skeptical your company can make a movie that cares more about a quality film than getting its agenda pushed. I don't want to be told how to feel. I just want to enjoy a movie. This is like, this is an argument we've heard before, that we've constantly shot down before on the show. Guess who responds, Stacey? At Jason Blum. Yeah. What? Says, I hear ya and agree. Check it out. I think you won't be disappointed. Then go see The Hunt. <laughs> Sophia Tikal then r- r- tweets out from her private account, which I saw a screenshot. Um, she tweets out a private, on her private account, a screenshot of this and just says, I'm speechless. Sophia Tikal being the director of The Black Christmas. Yeah, I don't. Re-rank. Why would you throw one of your filmmakers under the bus like that? It doesn't. I can't believe it and as someone who personally i mean i haven't talked about this on the show because i i didn't feel a reason um to tear down a movie by women filmmakers but like i didn't i thought the black christmas re-remake was not a good film although it it had a fantastic haunted bust (laughs) storyline that i can't get over 
However, like this incel response to it, it's like, well, I mean, come at the movie for just not having the best storyline. Like, don't come at it for because you you don't want to have real people's stories or like sexual assault or something thrown at you as what you think is a political topic. Right. Well, that's the thing is anything that it pertains to anybody who's not the straight white man is seen as identity politics rather than just like the existence of a lot of people on the planet. Mm-hmm. And so like nobody likes him. I like I haven't seen Black Christmas, so I'm not saying it's about that film. But most people uh, don't enjoy ham fisted storytelling. Even if they are the ones at whom it is directed, you know, like, no, it doesn't work. I get that oh. argument. Well, sure. like, I mean, you could say like, that's like me watching Black Christmas. Right. Where I can say like, I feel like, I feel like the, 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 I feel like the ethics and things being, being brought out in Black Christmas, I feel like they're actually just kind of empty-handed and are more virtue signaling than right. anything else. Right. Which was my critique of it, where I'm like, okay, if, if a character is talking about there's no <laughs> trans or queer or people of color representation in their coursework at the campus in the movie, then also why is there none in the film itself? Right, yeah. Except for the one, like, woke character being the woman of color. But other than that, there's no trans or queer characters or anything. Yeah. So like that was an issue for me. Mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of the opposite of this guy where I'm saying there's not enough of it. <laughs> right. Yes. I, I don't I and and this just takes me this reminds me of like I just saw maybe I mean and this is kind of a sequel conversation to our earlier conversation from The Brood and talking about women's representation in media and just male domination, patriarchal domination of media. Anything that they see as encroaching on their territory. Yeah, must be abolished, and but it's so it, it's so tiring. It's just it's that, infuriating and tiring that anyone who should be aligned with a creative, with a with a person that is make I hate that word that term. I'm a creative, but anybody that is is a filmmaker or that is trying to affect some storyline or change or something through their artwork, and the, the supporter being a producer of their work is then buying into that toxicity in response to it because they failed to produce it well enough (laughs) and then they just throw their filmmaker under the bus what the fuck is that well because here's the thing is that uh newsflash the horror bros are still running the show they just they just on occasion tweet out things that are you know like sexism bad we love the gays but when it comes down to it it's still the same fucking people running the show and if they're gonna get pushback from the audience that is just like them that they probably think still comprise the vast majority of a horror audience they're gonna capitulate to those people yep yep and it's like but that's that wokeness thing where it's like it is the thing where it's the the person with the power, the the, the patriarchal male, to quote Valerie Solanas, mm-hmm. is um is still occupying all the conversation and mm-hmm. occupying the power and occupying uh, the whole narrative. Yep, they're just they're driving it in terms of oh, but look at me, I'm making space for all these others exactly. that I continue to colonize. <laughs> yeah, and sell. 
That's it. But until, but when it when those people that they're supposed to be celebrating go against the grain, you know, in ways that they don't like or ways that they can't comprehend, mm-hmm. they'll throw them out of the bus and agree with, you know, MAGA incel 6969. <laughs> that is my Twitter handle. Well, you should consider <laughs> changing it. I don't know how. I've had it so well. <laughs> So I just, uh, you know, whatever. The horror bros are still running the show. Men are still, like, everybody acts like, they, I mean, things have changed to an extent, but not really. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's a performance. It's all. It's a performance. As, as the circle has taught us, it's all a game. <laughs> yep. It's 2020, and I've been watching the circle. Like, clearly, society needs to end. <laughs> well, it's you know, almost right. It's it's, yeah. it's coming. It's we're we're near the expiration date. We're so near the expiration. Date. At least there's some comfort in this world. The um, grip is coming, and I, for one, welcome it. I'm not gonna wash my hands ever again. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go out and lick everybody's faces, whether I find you attractive or not. I'll be licking all the faces. Uh, Well, I figure this thing is my greatest chance of going viral. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Usually I quit. I know. I quit. You can't. I, I quit. I'm sorry. Anyway, today we're taking a trip back in time to 1900 or 1979, uh, depending on when the film is made versus set. 75. 75? 1975. Picnic at Hanging Rock, coming right out of Australia. This was my first time seeing Picnic at Hanging Rock. Wow. In a long time of having wanted to see it. Um, This was like Jason... uh, spoke so highly of this movie especially when we first started dating and i've always wanted to see it i don't know why i've never seen it but i could not be happier that i saw it for this show oh good yay yeah the first time i saw it wasn't super into it really yeah and i understand why i think i mean i it was on me not on the film but i think it was my expectations which yeah. this is not a film that serves expectations. No. No. At all. And so if you go into it saying, I want to watch a horror movie where, you know, something happens. <laughs> uh, it's not the movie for you. In the times since then, boy, oh boy, I love this movie. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's, I mean, honestly, I feel like. I feel like because uh, when I watched it yesterday, like, I had so much, just like, I mean, kind of like we were talking about with with the weird faux epidemic and with the election and with all this stuff, I had so much angst and am just so, uh, and, and, I mean, admittedly, kind of a hopeless place about the state of, of, of society, American society. Um, and yet that felt like this movie felt like a weirdly comforting and conf- confirming kind of hug. <laughs> Interesting. A hopeless hug that I feel like echoed in its themes that same kind of angst that I was experiencing. So I was really, I, I felt, felt like it was a really, it's a really weirdly contemporary movie in that way. Interesting. I see that. Yeah. I think it, to me, it answers that angst with like 
there's a lot beyond our control and we are just a very small piece of a puzzle that we'll never know the solution to yeah so just chill man which in its own way is is a kind of comfort right it's It's a kind of comfort yeah i mean because it's the film really is about uh attempts at control and maintaining structure and society Mm mm-hmm and then I sound like libertarian. And now this, and then in response, it's like, well, what happens when you take out one component and then everything just collapses? Right. Yes. And I, I loved that. I love that. I, this movie. Oh, this movie. Oh, good. Oh, that makes me happy. I wasn't, I, watching it for this, I was like, but I did wonder how you'd react to it. Because I think it, it is a film that, you know, depending on your expectations, depending on what kind of mood you're in, I can see reactions being very varied yeah well here's the thing you give me schoolgirls, i'm in god i'm in you give me australia i'm in yeah man you you give me uh, a lush cinematography lush 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 lush. oh boy like i mean having i mean granted there are many grips going around we are both in the grip of portrait of lady on fire and this having just watched that the previous night for like the second time and then coming to this, very similar aesthetic, just in terms of the the beauty of those outdoor shots and the, mm-hmm. the scenery of nature and how gorgeous it is. But also the sense of the, the sublime terror of nature, right? Yes. Between the, the giant cliffs and the constant fear of women throwing themselves to their deaths in portrait versus it's, it, it's very similar in this with those rocks, mm-hmm. with hanging rock. Um I was just in a mood. I was in a I was in a grumbly, angsty, anxious, hopeless place, and this movie was just oh, it was just everything I wanted in that time. Yay. It was nice. It's nice. Also, I mean, granted, here's my experience of watching the movie. I put it on. I was like, oh, okay, I like this. Oh, oh, I see why Stacy wanted to watch it. There's a lesbian. <laughs> and then I was like, is this a horror movie? Why? Are, like, I, I've read about this in, a, in many horror books. And, like, I, I was just reading about it in a folk horror, a, a great book called Folk Horrors, actually, that I was reading about um, that genre. And and I was like, I, I get it, that, but is this horror? And then, obviously, by the end of it, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it is. But I spent a long time asking myself that. Um, and then I said, excuse me, no one told me Jackie motherfucking Weaver is in this movie. Right? Yeah. And then I said, oh, also, that's that creepy guy from Wolf Creek. Oh, yeah. Mick Taylor. Uh, that's right. That's him. I, that's that I little was, fucking creep. He was Birdie. I was wondering. I had thought his face looked familiar. Yeah. And, well, and then I did spend a long time being like, what's up with him and the twink? Like, they're staring at each other and mm-hmm. passing that. Very much passing that bottle back and forth and touching each other's fingers as much as they can while they do that and stare at each other. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of there's a lot of gay, subtle gay and over the very non-subtextual gay. Yes. Happening in this film. Mhm. Um ugh, plot synopsis. What's Picnic at Hanging Rock about? Uh, you tell me. I'll tell you. Um so it is also I did not know this was a Valentine's movie. It is a Valentine's what? movie, yeah. The movie opens with a very uh pre Blair Witch title card. Yeah. That explains on Valentine's Day of nineteen hundred, on February fourteenth, a Saturday, February the fourteenth, nineteen hundred, um, a group of schoolgirls went out to Hanging Rock 
and were <laughs> vanished. And then this is the story. This is how their lives have been affected and what would happen to the community around them. Um, you, you, we open on this women's girls college. Basically, it's a, it's a, it's a settlement um, in Victoria, Australia, in the state of Victoria, and there is a women's school. And all these all these young women go to school at this little place that's attended and overseen by Miss Appleyard, who has an insane updo. Yeah. Um, she's a horrible, horrible drag queen of a updo of a woman. <laughs> um, we also have Miss McCraw, who is their one of their school teachers, who takes them off on a trip to go to Hanging Rock. So they they go off on Valentine's Day. The 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 girls go off to to Hanging Rock. Um, Hanging rock is dangerous. They can only go so high up on the rock before it, it becomes too dangerous. There's also uh, venomous snakes and and spiders and all kinds of spooky things because Australia is a continent that is designed to murder you because it's so heavy metal. <laughs> um, essentially, three well, four four of the young women go off. Um, they kind of get in this like possessed sort of days state um they they there there's a sense of of kind of dread but also uh an openness to the dread and a a sense of um it's almost kind of like possession uh they collapse um one of them edith who is my favorite character because she's terrible uh (laughs) edith screams and freaks out and is trying to kind of uh get the the young women to go her friends to go back the the three other girls proceed ever onward until uh, they disappear and they're never seen again. Miss McCraw, the school teacher, is also seen reading and and things start happening to her and then she vanishes off screen as well. Um, meanwhile, Miss Appleyard is back at the school. She's wondering, okay, so why are all, why is this entire class late? They were supposed to be back for supper in time. They're super late. Suddenly, a, a carriage shows up. Um, they ask the, and I, I keep forgetting the name of the French teacher. Mademoiselle de Portiers. But everybody just calls her Mademoiselle. Mademoiselle. Mademoiselle comes out crying. Miss Appleyard says, why are you all so late? She says, we don't know what happened. The girls are missing. We don't know what happened. Um, this entire community, this primarily this, the community of the school, but also the settlement in Victoria, is just thrown into complete disarray. As over the span of, of, a, of a week and then months, um, nobody knows where these girls vanished to. Um, one of them is found, Irma, and she has no memory of what happened. Uh, and she receives a lot of kind of hatred and, and, and attacks and jealousy and questioning from the other girls at the school because they want to know what happened and where their friends went because it's tearing apart this community. The school, basically, I mean, a lot more comes into play, but the school falls into a complete state of just, uh, of total disarray, as Miss Appleyard realizes that, you know, now these these three girls are never coming back, so that means uh, a lot less tuition coming in. The One of the main teachers has vanished. Um, three other girls are leaving the school. And then we also have the issue of Sarah, Sarah, who's kind of the the special girl, she's uh, she's sensitive. She's very close with Miranda, who was one of sort of the leaders of the of the, the four girls that went off. And Miranda is seen early on in the film telling her, like, you know, you can't 
what does she say? Like, you can't depend on me. I'm I'm going to be leaving soon. You have to learn. You must learn to love another. You must learn to love another. Yeah. They're very close. It's very apparent that if they're not in a lesbian relationship, Sarah is very much in love with Miranda. Yeah. Um, Sarah spends the whole movie heartbroken that Miranda is missing, doesn't know where she is, just wants her back, has, has created a little shrine to her in her room and puts daisies on her portrait because daisies were her favorite. Um, and Sarah is not, Sarah is one of many, many of the young women that are contributing to the financial problem of the school in terms of Miss Appleyard's outlook on her because Miss Appleyard is not receiving any tuition from Sarah. So, uh, from Sarah's guardian, and she won't even hear back from Sarah's guardian. So, Miss Appleyard makes the decision in the midst of all of this, of the girls missing, of, of the, the, the kind of panic and, and rumors and questioning about what's happening, and, and Miss Appleyard's trying to figure out how she's going to continue on with this school. Uh, she makes the decision to send Sarah back to the orphanage. Uh, this hits Sarah so hard. Um, she's completely destroyed because now she's losing, she's lost her best friend slash lover. She is being chucked back into the system of the orphanage. Um, then we, we later find out, uh, that Sarah has either fallen to her death or was pushed. We don't know. We find out, uh, at, at the end credits, Miss Appleyard is, is, is informed of this, even though Miss Appleyard has already told someone that Sarah went off to the orphanage and she sent her off herself and saw her leave. Um, so there's a question of Miss Appleyard killed her or what happened there. And then it ends with a little sort of title card explaining that Miss Appleyard um, died a few months later in March, at the end of March. And the school at Hanging Rock. Her body at, was found yeah, at her, the foot of Hanging Rock. Her body was found at the foot of Hanging Rock. The school's over. Everything is over. This this colonialist settlement in Australia of all the because it's also important that there's the there's one Australian really in the film. I mean, there's a few, but there's there's Jackie Weaver, and then there's Bertie, who's like sort of this gruff dude that hangs out with the the colonialists, and. He's been in Australia much longer from his his descendancy of the original of the of the original settlers there, and then the rest of the film is is really tra- kind of tracking these this new influx of British Commonwealth that's come in to to Victoria, and now the settlement is completely just decimated and everything has collapsed. Nobody knows what happens. No answers are given or afforded, and it just ends with a complete societal meltdown. Yep. Let's picnic at Hanging Rock. Let's picnic at Hanging Rock. It's a mystery. It's a big mystery. That's love... what that's the, that's my favorite part of the movie is when it ended and then the 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 thing says it's a mystery. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's a strange choice. Um, <clears throat> but I'm glad Peter Weir made it. Yeah. Um, I love that this film kind of because I mean, you mentioned the like Blair Witch title intro there with the the placard saying like, "Oh, this." It hints that this actually happened. And there is a false reality to it. Yeah, there's a false reality to it, and you know, I mean, people thought Blair Witch was real. This incident and everything has basically entered 
Australian folklore. This is based on a novel by Joan Lindsay. And it was like the great Australian novel, right? Yeah, it was like this mega success. And this story has entered Australian folklore and apocrypha to the point where people have wondered, people kind of think it actually happened. Well, and the author, I was reading, too, that the author of the novel also would never state whether or not it was true when people would ask him. Like, so he kind of fucked with them, too, and played up that sense um, of... <clears throat> her, thank you, Joan Lindsay. Oh, really? Yeah. What? I thought it was John. No, it's Joan. This was written by... Joan! <gasps> How dare you? More. I love it even more, Stacey. Look at my bringing in my patriarchal conditioning and just assuming a man wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it That's even right. more. God bless Joan. Yeah. And the and reason why it's a movie people. is because a woman read it and said this would make a great movie and brought it to Peter Weir and said, make this movie. The woman who produced it. Oh. I've, <laughs> I am fascinated with, maybe because I went to a women's college. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, because I'm a big homosexual. I'm not sure. But in fiction, film, literature, whatever, I love schoolgirl school horror especially, but I just yeah. love depictions of like the hothouse environment of like like schools like girls in schools and colleges and all of that the they're just weird... like a, a hotbed of, sec of unbridled and yet repressed sexuality and it fascinates me. It might have something to do with you being gay when I hear you talk about it that way. <laughs> well, I mean, this film certainly explores it. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. But and I, I, I'm right. I'm obviously I'm making fun of you, of you. But I'm also right there with you because same. Uh, and the 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 weird like day to day, right? The rituals. This the the like the the bringing out of the Saint Valentine statue and then like chanting to it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then going on this trip and they have their, like, ritual. I was like, there's some pagan shit happening with this cutting of the St. Valentine's cake. Yeah. And then the kind of weird, the possession and the red cloud and all. There's, like, there's weird culty stuff, too, that I love mm -hmm. about that. About that mm -hmm. schoolgirl thing where it's, I mean, sororities have, like, you know, there's there's just kind of a secret society sort of, whenever people become collectives, there are, there are special in behaviors and rituals right i mean and the I school just... has a temple of calisthenics thank you very much <laughs> a temple <laughs> of calisthenics it's true it does well this is like this is not uh you know it is Appleyard college but this is not a college like oh i don't know mount holyoke college which was formerly mount holyoke seminary but it's not that kind of thing that's dedicated to the higher education of girls and women this is more of a finishing school. They do they are, senior needlework classes. They do needlework classes. They do calisthenics. They work. I mean, at one point, Sarah is tied to a wall in hopes of improving her posture. Yeah, tied to the perfect posture machine. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a very specific kind of school. But I'm just, it's like what we were talking about earlier and which we will address at some point. The difference between... Portrait of a Lady on Fire versus the lighthouse of like this is tends to be what happens with women when they're isolated in a group. Mm -hmm. This is what happens with men. And I just I don't have obviously experience in boys schools, but, you know, and I haven't seen a lot of movies about boys schools. I mean, what is there? There's like uh, Child's Play 3. 
dead poet society you know what i mean it's about like men becoming great and they're you know like that sort of thing yeah and the women are like turn into witches who fuck (laughs) (laughs) have you seen cracks with ava green yes oh i love that movie we should do cracks that's a fucked up movie that's so disturbing but i love it that's women alone on an island in their weird cult school and the weird yeah. lesbian tension that happens it's all mis- it's always like mysterious and there's there's the the patriarchy induced conditioning and infighting and and mm-hmm. and then there's the sexuality and then there's the gossip and there's the the glances the glances and the rumors my favorite gay bars my favorite lesbian bars <laughs> and glances and rumors that's the thing is there's there always seems to be and I think it's just, you know, because of what I'm attuned to, but it's like there's always just a sexuality bubbling under the surface, spoken mm-hmm. or unspoken. It's always there in these situations. And maybe that's the case also with an all-male environment, but it is it manifests so differently. Mm-hmm. Well, that it's, it's more repressed and more right. based around rage and competition, right? Yes. Yeah. And so I just, I don't know, it's just a, it's a subject of mine. And it makes me, make me sound like I'm just some, I don't know. And saying it all, I'm like, oh God, am I just like a horny lesbian? But it's like, I'm allowed to be interested in this and not have it be about that. I just find it, it's a, sociologically, I think it's fascinating. I absolutely agree with you. you know, and, and and it is, <laughs> it's also not something that we're bringing to the text that doesn't exist in it. Um, right. The the Sarah Miranda storyline is there for a very apparent like it's it's very much a part of the story. Right. Yeah. And it's well, undeniable. I mean, what a, the during the opening credits when it's girls reading Valentines to each other and that then there's that incredible shot of four of them you know, we see them from behind, four of them bent over tying each other's corsets up. And it's like mm-hmm. it's you know an expression of repression but it's also incredibly erotic Mm-hmm. like that's all in this movie i think this movie is unique in that whatever you get out of it is valid because it doesn't it doesn't it has a narrative but it again it doesn't give any answers it's fascinating because it's like it's almost like a um I was trying to work it out as I was as I was thinking about it after and while watching it, but it it's like a and and I want to read the novel having especially seen this because it feels so much more of like a literary after the fact like sort of a deconstructive text about things falling apart, but watching it in real time, it feels like I don't know the the way that, the the fiction of the story and the narrative also feels like a, a meta tech, like a, a meta narrative or something at the same time. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think, know how to describe that. I think it's, it's like, like it's aware the, of its story as it unfolds and it doesn't make sense. It's reflected in the film because like for the character, we are essentially on the same exact journey that a majority of the characters in the film are on. In that, like, you know, Hanging Rock is a source of mystery and fascination for them. Miranda is a cipher for everybody. Everybody in the film projects their desires onto Miranda 
they're everybody is in mm-hmm. love with Miranda. She is the center of everybody's world. She's a fascination. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so we project whatever we want onto this film, and it becomes whatever we want it to become. If you think it's about colonization, yeah, that works. If you think it's about sexual repression and sexual liberation, absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you think it's a cosmic horror movie, yep, it's that too. And I think it's really reflected in the scene towards the end where Irma has come back. Um, you know, she was found. She was surprisingly not uh, damaged by her week at alone at Hanging Rock. She didn't have scratches. Her feet were fine. And most importantly, she was, quote, intact. She was mm-hmm. still a virgin. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, she can't remember what's going on. She's really traumatized. She's going to leave the school. And so she enters the Hall of Calisthenics to the say temple. goodbye to everybody. Temple, excuse me. <laughs> temple of cal- Calisthenics to say goodbye to everybody. She is dressed all in red, yeah. which is fascinating. Like, she has crossed over into womanhood, right? Mm-hmm. She is dressed in red while everybody else is still in their uniforms, kind of doing these lethargic exercises. And she's going off and to Europe. She's going off to Europe. She's leaving. And she is literally attacked by everybody in the classroom. They so they swarm around her and start scratching at her and slapping her and beating her because they want answers. They want her to tell them definitively what happened, where's Miranda, where's the teacher, where's Marion, where are our friends? And... That's us, the audience, with this film. That's a yeah. certain reaction to this film. It's like, where are my answers? I sat through this for two hours and the girls aren't found and no one knows what happened? You're not going to solve this mystery for me? How dare you? Oh, but don't you love that? I do love that. I didn't the first oh. time I saw it. Now oh. I'm like, I mean, in the years since then, like I said, like once I finally got it and like didn't go in with expectations of it being like, a really scary horror movie where something mm. crazy happens at Hanging Rock. Like, this is so much better than that movie could probably ever be. Yeah. But yeah. it is, I could it's a that, source though. of frustration for viewers. Absolutely. Yeah, I could completely get that. Um, if I was younger when I saw it, I probably would have resented it for that reason, I think. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you know, all I wanted from a horror movie was that it was going to scare me, really. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and there's no gore in this either. <laughs> there's no there's no gore in it's this. It's barely Whatever. even horror. It's existential horror, maybe. It's existential horror. But it, that's also sort of our existence as human beings and our questions about, you know, like, life. Why are we here? And it's... You know, there's a part that strives for answers. I, You know, I have gone through a huge existential crisis for the last, like, like I'm fine now. But around the time when I left L.A., it was like, this sounds so almost trivial, but it's like my cat died that I had him for 16 years, which is a really long time. Um, he died and my grandmother died in a very short period of time. And, the, you know, my grandmother was hugely influential on me. I was at a place personally where I was kind of in flux. It was like, I'm leaving L.A., but I don't know what's happening in my life, etc. And I went through a big, like, existential crisis of, like, what is the point of life? Mm-hmm. Why are we here? Why do we exist? And we want answers to that kind of thing so desperately. And there are no answers to be given. Yeah. 
And I think that's one of the points of this film. And it's like contrasting the Victorian sexual repression of these girls in their corsets, et cetera, et cetera, versus the vast, unknowable, mysterious nature. Mm-hmm. No, there and, are no answers. And that desire to of, of society to impose control, to have order, mm-hmm. that this is how things work. You go to your senior needlepoint class, you come back you go on your trip you come back in time for supper you pay your tuition uh you do a good job you die you go to heaven and you continue that cycle but for in in eternity with baby g right versus the reality (laughs) versus the reality and how unknowable life really is we die we don't know what happens you don't even know if you're like i was i was obsessed i i was having a mini existential crisis thinking about Someone saying, oh, you shouldn't be afraid of death because you just go back to where you were before you were born. And I don't have any memory of that being troublesome. And and that's right. terrifying to imagine, like, the nothingness before, but then to contemplate what does it mean to become nothingness again after this whole experience. But right. also, it's completely out of our hands. It's the one universal thing. So it's like that... Comp- that 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 willingness of the void and chaos and not knowing, not having the answer, that the possibility of that is horrifying and very dread-inducing. But that is summed up so beautifully in this film, I think. Yeah. Well, I think it's very it's it's that's why they go to a finishing school and not a college where they're there to learn and grow, right? Like Sarah, the rebellious lesbian, is punished. Uh, for being creative and writing her own poetry. No, mm-hmm. you don't write your own poetry. You memorize this poem this ma- that the, the teachers assigned you. Yeah. You know, that's the way you learn is memorizing this and spitting it back at me, which what does that prove? Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't write your own thing. Don't be creative. Don't color outside of the lines, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, yeah, I mean, the dread of death is like the number one, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I get why people are religious. I understand it. It doesn't work for me, but I wish it did because I think that there's, and I don't mean like evangelical, whatever, whatever, but I mean like the people who take comfort in it and being like, well, I'll die, but then I'll see all my friends and family and everything's going to be great. And Jesus will be there. And that must be very comforting in times of trouble. Well, it's an answer. It's an answer of a sort. You know, and I have no answers and I've never been able to come to them. And I'm so I'm trying to I have in in the most recent years, like learned to find a comfort in the fact that it's unknowable. Mm -hmm. It kind of takes some pressure off. I just I (laughs) yeah, it does. And but I think I just I don't think I've seen something up until now that really summed that up and that made there is a there is a sublime power in that. And yeah, the, the there facts, really is. Especially, especially seeing that articulated in these girls, in Miranda and and Irma and the other one, <laughs> Marion, and and little Edith. Edith is just trying to fight it every step of the way. Yeah, she's so terrified, and she's like, "I'm I'm hot. I'm tired. I don't want to do this. I want to go back. Why are Why can't we just sit on this log and look at the ugly old rock from here?" <laughs> like, <laughs> and they are. There, Miranda, and then, like there is a sense of kind of there's a embracing of it. There's a reverence of the unknowability. 
I feel. Well, I'm I absolutely. That's why they disappear into it. Yeah, they will. That's like, why uh, that's why Edith emerges because she was so reluctant and reticent. What do what do they do? What's the big thing that they First of all, as they're setting out for this journey and Mrs. Appleyard is talking to them and you know, be careful there's venomous mistakes, there's this that and the other thing. Because it is such a hot day, because it is a special day that you're going on this picnic, when you are out of sight of everybody else, you may remove your gloves. That's their big privilege for the day, is they may remove their gloves. Meanwhile, up once they are up into Hanging Rock and all of its creepy holes and crevices and its labyrinthine layout, it's really bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, Irma, Miranda, and Marion take off their stockings and their shoes. They liberate themselves. And when Miss McCraw, the last sighting of Miss McCraw, she is only in her bloomers. She's taken off of all of her skirts. Le pantalon. Le pantalon. Yeah. You know, they like, uh, when aghast. Irma is found, when Irma is found, uh, she is intact and she's got her clothing, but her corset is missing. Yeah. And everyone's it's like all of them have, sh- have shed all of the restraints and the bullshit and just kind of embraced the unknowable. Well, and to me also, it's really telling that those are all, those are all the signs of femininity too. The corset, the dress and Mm -hmm. the, and the shoes. Mm -hmm. Um, When Edith, when they take off their stockings and their shoes, Edith, that reaction made me scream (laughs) with laughter because she freaks out and says, where on earth are they going without their shoes? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She can't contemplate, but it's like, these women have been, it's, it's, I'm like, did St. Valentine possess them? What happened? They've, they have completely, in that moment, they realized, oh, look at all these humans like ants, uh, just mm-hmm. pulling off their functions. They might not even know what they're doing or the significance of it. They become aware of just the artifice of all of it and the, the artifice of, of femininity, of, of, of inflicted, uh, in, imposed femininity and the standards that come from patriarchy for that. They completely reject it and just leave. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's almost like like I think of like the Aztec creation myth of of the Aztec people like just walking into the earth from from the air, like they step in from another plane of existence, basically into the world. And yeah. it's, it's almost like these women just stepped out mm-hmm. and just left the universe. <laughs> like they just left society, they left the world, and they just vanished. Yeah. And and then, and everyone reads that as, oh well, they they were raped, like that that the corset is off, or that the the dress was gone, or that you know, that that oh let's make sure they're intact. And it's like it's not even there's no protecting of women's sexuality. There's no uh, assault story here. It is just women almost casting off like womanness even. And right. just just leaving this whole structure that has been imposed on them, mm-hmm. because in that moment, and I don't know, like it seems like Miranda's sort of the leader of the prophet, really of the group. Yeah. But Miranda somehow, also lesbian, becomes uh, enlightened or informed of just the artificiality of all of it, mm-hmm. and she's going to leave. And, and I mean, they could they could reject society's views of a woman and embrace what they feel a woman mm-hmm. is cast off the artifice because i mean when you look at it they do disappear into a very uh yonic sort of 
hole. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's there's a line early on when they're just getting to the picnic, they're just, you know, picnicking, and one of the girls spots another small group of picnickers nearby. And she says, If it wasn't for them, we might be the only living creatures in the whole world. And immediately after that, Peter Weir gives us a lot of shots of nature, of everything that they're not seeing. Like, you're not the only creatures in the world. There's ants crawling all over the place. There are these wild parrots up in the trees. The little koalas. There, the koalas. There's the snakes that we haven't seen. It's like, as humans, you don't realize your place in it. You think you're the only ones. Mm-hmm. And that's where the whole, like colonization and etc it's a man's domination of things comes in it's like why send these girls to hanging rock in the first place if it's so dangerous mm-hmm. well because you know as as white people as british people they should be able to go anywhere they want to go mm-hmm. and and that comes back it comes back again i mean primarily with miss Appleyard and with her yes um, conflict over this <laughs> although i mean i mean I, miss appleyard I, I treat her pretty terribly in how i think of her but also i did love her drinking glass um yeah that she had <laughs> when she would have to turn to her drink but like miss appleyard when she's like kind of she's drunk uh or it can be implied that she's had some drinks and she's she just can't wrap her head around this and she because the idea is that this is how society works this is how the world has always been God created Adam and Eve. <laughs> God created right. rule. God created order. Uh, society, humanity is following God's will to create God's society. Um, mm-hmm. Everything you are born, who you are, it is your yourself is innate to you. Even even if it is even it's not something that you are learn that you learn or that is taught to you by society. It's not something that's informed by culture, which is, I mean, I believe how it really is that everything is constructed, but. She believes, you know, she says nothing changed for 40 years. It was dependable. It was completely dependable. Nothing changed ever. And now Mm -hmm. everything is changing because she can't even comprehend the fact that these structures are completely imposed. Right. And who who is the one character who gets punished throughout this film is Sarah. Poor Sarah. Sarah can't go to the picnic because she hasn't memorized the poem. And Sarah argues that she wrote an ode to St. Valentine, which, as we all know, is an ode to Miranda. Yep. But that's not good enough. So you have to stay behind for that. Uh, You know, the whole class economics work into it that she's going to get kicked out of the school because she can't afford this bougie school anymore. Because she's going to go back to the orphanage where she's already, you know, uh, told one teacher how she was abused at the orphanage. Mm -hmm. You know, she's the the gay one she's the gay you know and she falls completely outside of all of this structure that's existed for 40 years since the beginning of time whatever and she's not even allowed to go on the journey that the other girls go on and even with the even with the sort of uh um immersion of of uh sexuality that these women are in all living together and all you know that school that that schoolgirl life as the meme would say (laughs) um she's even kind of cast aside as the lesbian by the others Mm -hmm. like there's there's a scene where blanche finds sarah's like gay poetry about miranda Mm -hmm. and it's it's yeah she's 
Poor Sarah. She's the odd one. She's the odd one out. Poor I Sarah. Know. I just think of Sarah. Poor Sarah. When um, when Sarah's told by Appleyard that she's going to have to go back to the orphanage, and then she's just she's sitting on the stairs, just in the dark, just staring, like contemplating the uselessness of everything and the loss of her friend and um her fate and and her the fact that she'll never see her brother again too her brother who she left at the orphanage who it's revealed is birdie who is the 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 kind of gruff townsman that finds irma um and then that other teacher goes up and sees sarah just sitting on the stairs and she's like why are you sitting there what's wrong with you you don't just sit and stare in the dark There's yeah, no people imp- who sit and stare in the dark are funny in the head or whatever she says. Yeah, there's yeah. no there's no empathy for her. She doesn't she doesn't even treat her as a human being. Yeah. It's just No, the oh, only one who treats any of these girls The only one who treats any of these girls as human beings is Mademoiselle. Mademoiselle is a rock. And star. Minnie. And yeah. Minnie, played by Jackie, Jackie Weaver, Weaver, the like servant. The who other has Australian empathy. in the film. The other Australian in the film who, you know, she is with her boyfriend and says that she just feels so bad for the girls. And he thinks she's talking about the ones who are missing. And she's like, well, them too. But also all the other ones at the school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's sad. Patriarchy, it's really sad. man. It's really sad. And I, I just I want to know, like, did it... I mean, I know it's counterintuitive to ask these questions because the movie is about not having the answers. But like. Did Appleyard kill Sarah? <laughs> what happened there? I've I've always thought it was a suicide, just because. Is what makes sense when, that she killed her. Yeah. Well, when she comes in and tells her that she has to leave, Sarah does get after a few moments. She gets kind of a smile on her face, and then there's a shot of her like a shadow, like her shadow, moving in her room. And so between yeah. those two things, I always inferred that she committed suicide. And she was smiling because maybe she had an answer. Maybe she thought she was going to be with Miranda again. Hmm. Yeah, I, I read the smile as, um, I was like, oh, is she happy to go back to the orphanage because it's better than the college? Or is she, she, maybe she thinks she'll see her brother again. But then I was like, oh, that's not the case. Because when we find out Bernie's her brother and he has the dream about her, it's like, oh, they've been dis- disconnected for a long time. Yeah. Um. But it was the timing was interesting between Appleyard telling her you're leaving and then telling um, telling the other telling Mademoiselle, oh no, she left. I saw her off myself. Right. So it's like the Appleyard probably actually just made it up that she saw her herself and just didn't even see to her leaving and just assumed she left. Exactly. That's what I thought. It was oh, also weird that in her last in her last scene. Madam, uh, Mrs. Appleyard is in those mourning clothes, which is very strange too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she so gets much informed mystery, and she's just wearing that black veil. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, and who knows what happens at Hanging Rock? Does she kill herself? Also, did she kill herself, or was she like dimensionally portaled there and just died? <laughs> like, right, because <laughs> yeah. anything's possible around Hanging Rock. Right. What's this red cloud they talk about seeing? Mm-hmm. What's any of it? It can be whatever you want, man. I loved it. I just love it so much. It's so good. It's And it's so, I mean, even just on a basic level, it's so beautiful. This oh, it's absolutely stunning. 
It's stunning. And if Sofia Coppola doesn't PayPal Peter Weir every time she fucking picks up a camera. <laughs> I'm like, bitch, you owe him some money. <laughs> because her entire, like, aesthetic yeah. feels yeah. like it's derived from this film. Yeah, the long, beautiful shots of nature, long, gorgeous shots and women, the softness, stillness. <laughs> yeah. Lushness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All the, the soundtrack was haunting. Um, mm-hmm. The softness of their voices, just everything was so like it. It was beautiful, but also upped that creepiness and that that foreboding and um, yeah, and the mystery of it all. And then it's like right. That's the thing. If you look at it as a cosmic horror film, I think that's completely valid. It's not the most action-packed film as far as if that's going to be your, if that's what you want out of it. But sure, mm-hmm. that's there. Yeah. That's totally there. You know? I don't know. It's just, it's interesting how much it reflects the audience. Mm-hmm. You know? And how the characters the last image they have of those girls is the same last image that we have yeah nobody has any answers that rarely happens in cinema usually someone knows and ending on that shot of miranda's just hair mm-hmm. her hair she turns away yeah it's incredible so good i need to read the book um i i i'm interested i'm curious about because amazon did a remake series uh, yeah which also has samara weaving who i love mm-hmm. but and I just, natalie dormer oh wow i just don't know how you could recapture this <laughs> i mean how yeah it feel it's one of those that feels like it's yeah what are you gonna do to it you know it feels pretty perfect i'm still i would still be excited to just spend more time in the universe and maybe see if it continues to expand on those themes or if it goes in a completely different direction i'd be interested but i mean this as it is just feels like a really it it feels like a perfect story to me in this moment and Mm -hmm. part of that is that it's directly correlating to my own angst but (laughs) right yeah oh i'm i'm in the place for this movie now yeah you know for sure for sure there's comfort in not knowing and that's a hard thing to accept Mm mm-hmm yeah, and I think this movie That's is a beautiful exciting. meditation on that. Mm-hmm. Also, a beautiful meditation on Mademoiselle slapping that girl <laughs> when they're all like going after Irma. It's like, yeah, Mademoiselle. <laughs> I love Mademoiselle. While that other awful teacher just like hides behind the chair. <laughs> yeah, she just hides and then quits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, quits her temple of calisthenics. Yeah. <laughs> God. what a movie i know what a movie we need to do i I think i'm just gonna voice this we need to do more jackie weaver films <laughs> absolutely there was, i love jackie my weaver only complaint with this film is there was not enough jackie weaver yeah fucking love her um you should watch if it's still on netflix you should watch secret city secret two seasons only secret city it's an australian show i think each season had like maybe six to ten episodes especially the first season jackie weaver anna torv it's fucking great it's political intrigue like really intricate political intrigue jackie weaver is fucking incredible anna torv is of course incredible it's so good i love that show i'm sold 
Well, and then that goes go. to my next statement is we need to do more Australian stuff, too. Yeah, we do. I love those Australians. <laughs> Me, too. I'm such a fan of Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Good movie. Good movie. Wow. Um, wow, Stacey, wow, wow. Huh? We know that there are no answers now. Yeah, there's no there answers are to only anything. questions. <laughs> do we have a listener question today? We do. Will we have an answer? I don't know. Maybe. I have no idea. <laughs> but this week, uh, Tony from Chicago. Hey, Tony from Chicago. Uh, that's terrible. I don't know what that accent was. Anyway, Tony from... I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's even better because... It's even better because my audio completely cut out, so I only heard the very end of it. <laughs> oh, it's real bad. Uh... Tony from Chicago asks, now that you are a year and a half or so into driving such wonderful horror dialogue content in your podcast, which, oh, thank you. Well, uh, hmm. Yeah. Did you, have you listened to the show, Tony from Chicago? Did you listen to our intro today? <laughs> yeah. uh, what have you learned about yourselves as devoted horror fans? Ah. <laughs> uh, it's a constant battle, Tony from Chicago. You know, I learned, I learned how surprised I was that I'm Team Dorit now. <laughs> I told you you would be. I never thought I would be a Team Dorit when it comes to R H O B H, but I have to say, I that's what I have learned doing the show is that I am now Team Dorit, and I never saw that coming. Yeah, I didn't see it coming either. <laughs> but then I texted you and said. I'm really coming around on Dorit. Listen. And you were that, like, what? And I was like, I'm telling you, man. I was, I said, Anakin, you're going down a path I can't follow. Mm-hmm. And here we are. And then Limb, one... all limbless and lava covered together. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said, one dripping barrette later. Tell you. And I said, I have seen the light. <laughs> I have seen the rhinestone light. With a questionable accent. Yeah. Well, good. That's a good answer. Thank you. I worked really hard on it. (laughs) I think that's a great question to pair up with this film, just because, uh, you know, in my early days of, well, it wasn't my early days. Have I ever had early days? I am timeless. (laughs) I'm ageless. I am like hanging rock itself. (laughs) Unknowable foreboding to look at and covered in holes a million years old but also somehow young <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a million years old relatively speaking kind of young yeah. <laughs> uh, but no but in like final girls early days i definitely had like basically i had sort of I had my expectations of horror movies. I knew what I wanted from horror movies. I wanted to be scared. And if it was a bad movie, quote unquote, a bad movie, I wanted to be able to make fun of it. Mm -hmm. Those were kind of my wavelengths. And I think those are fine. Absolutely. These days, I don't know where I am. Sure I do. Uh, my taste, <laughs> my, <laughs> I, especially the last few years, 
given the films that we've had since, say, 2015, 2016, some of the films that have really resonated with me in ways that horror films previous to that have not. Oh, you mean when they started making movies that we could relate to? <laughs> yeah, you know. It's funny how that works, right? <laughs> they started making them, I started relating to them, and life has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, we'll get to it at some point. I keep talking about this movie that's not a horror movie, but Portrait of a Lady on Fire has literally changed me as a person and as a movie viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think with horror now, what I enjoy a lot, a lot, a lot, one of my most favorite things now is going back and watching things that I have already seen and maybe didn't respond to or watching things I've never seen and seeing what they're about and picking them apart and trying to find some value in them. And I think I owe that specifically to this show because we've done that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know if I would have started to do that on my own if we didn't have this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that the bounty of riches I have received from the last few years have caused me to say if it doesn't, pique my interest from the get-go i don't fucking care i'm not interested i'll see if we're gonna do it for the show or something like that i'll see it but if it doesn't speak directly to my interests on some level then why should i bother i've my entire life what i have been provided has been dictated by a certain demographic and there are some great movies it's not as if once upon a time I had a choice between watching, you know, Raging Bull and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I didn't yeah. I didn't have that choice. Great double feature. Yeah, I didn't have that choice and then choose Raging Bull. My only option was Raging Bull. Mm-hmm. Raging Bull's great. Loved it. Now that I have a choice, I am reticent to go back. And so I am passing up a lot of movies, and this counts for horror as well passing up a lot of movies that are probably good maybe they're even great oh well i'll watch something else (laughs) the world will continue on and be just fine yeah you're taking off those shoes yeah it uh, yeah exactly the corset is flying off baby and i'm disappearing into the rock and who and honestly like who cares what does it hurt if i'm not interested in seeing saw seven I mean, I wasn't interested in Saw 1 through 6 either. But, okay, but, but you know new, what I mean. W- the new Spiral thing. Uh-huh. Chris Rock, he pitched that himself. <laughs> like, it's a passion project. How did that happen? That's, Sorry. That's, I just, yeah, I, that's really I bizarre. just learned this as a thing, and I am so confused. It's, so now I'm it's like, very bizarre, yeah. What is happening? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yes, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm not saying that every horror movie that comes out has to be Suspiria, but, um, you know, I guess I just, it would help. But you also, I mean, I think, I think what you're speaking to too, is that as othered people, right. We have for, uh, across, uh, uh, identities, we have had for so long to, squeeze ourselves into other people's boxes right but now we're seeing 
we're we're seeing things that are actually made literally like like we were talking about last time that are being made for us Mm -hmm. and then you think okay well now i don't why was i wasting my time trying to squeeze into something that didn't fit right it's nice not to have to anymore Mm -hmm. and maybe i'll get to those movies someday maybe i won't whatever it's my life you know I just like I, I I don't know. I don't know. And so just from the early days of Final Girl, like no one go back and read Final Girl. But I'm just saying when I read stuff from the early days of Final Girl, it's like I just I don't know why anybody stuck with it. It's like I it just had a very f- sort of facile l- surface read of films. And that's fine. You grow as a viewer if you care about that kind of thing. If you're going to uh, write about or articulate your viewpoints. Hopefully, you're going to have some growing and learn how to watch it, different ways of watching a movie. What am I talking about? I don't know. That's my answer. <laughs> that's beautiful, though. I just i I think I've I think I'm a different. I think I am on a molecular level. I am a different kind of movie watcher. For better, I hear that meowing in the back. I was gonna say, do you hear Lucy? I've been trying not to laugh this entire time because Lucy is losing her mind, and she's like, "I hear my auntie. <laughs> I know she's in there. Give me those bosoms. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> yeah, I'm just. A, I mean, I'm a different. You know, I'm a different movie viewer. I'm a different woman. Like, listen, I, man, your cells reformat themselves every seven years, man. Right, right. <laughs> you're a new person, but I'm a, for real, you are. I'm a pod person. You're you're a podcaster. Oh yeah. Oh, We're pod people, Stacy. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, people who read used to read Final Girl might not like me anymore. You know, whatever. That's fine. That's valid. You're not gonna hate me any more than I hate myself. So <laughs> suck on that, haters. <laughs> But I mean, you know what I mean. Like, I just, I don't know what I want from a horror movie and of just a movie in general is just different these days. Yeah, absolutely. But it's fun to watch the old stuff, too. Yeah, sometimes. You know, sometimes. I mean, whatever. What am I talking about? Who cares? Shut up, Stacey. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I feel like I talk too much. I can go in and... Next no, I I completely agree. I mean, I echo that. I um, like I I, I but that just everything you're saying also. Is, I mean, there is the sense of like, oh well, there's coming to to not have to apologize for yourself anymore. To not have to like sort of situate yourself as like, oh well, I like these movies, but also I'm gay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna make do, or I'm gonna find the 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 point of um relation or kinship with something with some subtext built into something but i i i recognize i have double consciousness in a second or third class citizen and and that's okay and i'll watch i'll watch your horrible shitty franchise sequel instead of Mm -hmm. being my own person but then once you get those things once you actually experience something that says you are a human being and this is a story that belongs to you or is for you or you can relate to why would you go back yeah um, I mean, you can, you can for a sake of nostalgia to go back and watch something because, like you said, it's fun to watch the old ones. But like, I, I think also as we as we get older, you know, we become more discerning or become more like I used to love movies that were just like like when we were talking about 
watching like texas chainsaw massacre and cannibal holocaust like all the gross ones like you seek out all the gross movies right it's like back then i just thought texas chainsaw was gross like i didn't see but i was also watching it on fucking shitty ass vcr yeah on a tiny tv in my friend's bedroom and like i wasn't appreciating the gorgeous fucking cinematography or i wasn't realizing how brilliant um her performance is yeah like you we were coming to these films for very different reasons from now and i think what's shifted for me more so is i mean well one i'm i have learned that i am an asshole (laughs) and that i have i have a very specific standard or lack of standard depending on the type of film i'm watching um and i can be pretty uh dogmatic in terms of what i want to see or what i value um but also like i i think now i i really i really have exacting standards on film and on horror because i'm i'm thinking well when the world is at this place that it's at what are you making and what is it saying right um what are you being responsible with this platform that you have like i'm i'm not gonna watch and and that's the thing is like when you're talking about like misogynist films like Yes, now we have films like The Witch or Suspiria or Portrait of a Lady on Fire, not horror, but still. We have these films that actually see us for the first time, but there are still those fucking shitty-ass misogynist movies coming out. Mm-hmm. Like, that still exists in horror. There's still bro horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still a huge part of the community, and it's still kind of, it's still treated as the default, like, yes. just like Miss Appleyard talking about how the school's always been this way, and nothing changed for 40 years, it's never changed ever. Right. Like, Mrs. Apple, Miss Appleyard is every horror bro that is losing their mind over not having only their representation now, and not having complete domination of the world. It's that guy tweeting about Black Christmas and Jason Blum for agreeing with him. Yeah, and saying this isn't for me. I'm not gonna watch it. Why? Why would you make this? Right. <laughs> and then Jason Blum saying, "Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Go see this movie instead." Like, I now I I I in many ways like while I have more exacting standards of horror and I get more resentful for movies that waste my time, The Lodge. Um, I simultaneously have an even greater appreciation for horror. Where now I really do believe I honestly believe that horror is the genre that is doing the most transgressive and the most um political things uh it's it's telling it's 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 the one genre where we can really count on getting um actual messages out and actual narratives that are going to impact and echo um what i see as crucial in this time that we're living in and uh, that are that are actually they are, that are proposing solutions like in Suspiria or offering um, sort of retro feminist views on how 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 we once approached patriarchy and how we can shift to like the witch or even even uh, Gretel and Hansel like it's I I think I I have so much more love for the genre for what is actually what it is actually intellectually operating as and and doing. Oh, yeah. I my love for the genre has grown. Yeah. Since I mean, I got burnt out on it during the bro horror era. I got absolutely burnt out and I stepped away from Final Girl and just kind of stepped away from the genre in general. I have some regrets over that 
about stepping away from the blog just because I took myself out of the game for a long time. And now there are, and, you know, granted, I'm not posting every day, but there are, you know, people who have no idea what it is or anything, or, you know, that it even exists. And that bums me out. But whatever, it is what it is. Um, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't be doing this show if what was happening currently in the genre didn't thrill me. Mm-hmm. Like, it really hasn't probably in, in entirely different ways since, like, I was a teenager watching slasher movies. You know, when that was, like, a thrill because that was like, oh, we're going to have a sleepover. And it was a different kind of love, but it was yeah. as it was as fervent as my love is now, I would say. Yes. Yeah. I think the love has just expanded and absolutely um and and also zeroed in. Yes. A little bit. It's more, like expanded right? and narrowed somehow at the same it's, it's yeah, Schrodinger, it's well, Schrodinger's love or some shit. I don't know. Yeah. It's like I mean it's like I mean look at Friday the 13th. Stupid fucking movies. <laughs> A right. great oh, yeah. great fucking franchise. Yeah. Um but before like when I mean I, I came to that franchise actually last of all the franchises, but like when I was first watching them like ten years ago, I was I was like blown away at just how entertaining they were, how many people died, um, loved it. Now it's like, and that's sort of the 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 Jason Voorhees viewer versus the Final Girl viewer, mm-hmm. where it's like now it's like I'm watching these films and I am, I am. Like like our live episode with Adrian and Amy, it's like we are we are losing our minds over these women that are that are are persevering throughout these films through the right. Chris Higginses and the 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 Ginnies that are. How did I not zero in? I mean, I always had a love for them, but how was I not zeroing in on them to the point that now, like, I think about um, like going back and watching Scream. And I didn't realize how fucking badass Sid Prescott was. Mm-hmm. Now it's like I have so much more appreciation for, um, for the these transgressive and and powerful portraits of women and of queer people and what what uh, these films have to say about us. And and also I'm even more like okay no queer horror and and both I mean. My sort of narrative of my time in the genre has been, you know, getting into horror movies, finding Final Girl, beginning to think more critically, starting queer horror. And I've been doing queer horror for five years now, my film series. And it's like in that time and then in the time also conflated with the time we've been doing Gay Lords, like I have now become to, th- to think like like with queer horror, I was like, why are queers dra- drawn to the art form was my initial question. What about this subgenre appeals to us? Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, this is, it's not, queer horror is not a subgenre. Queer horror is the genre. Mm-hmm. And it always has been. And this narrative that horror is not intrinsically queer is a lie. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a revisionist re, uh, attack on what actual history is. When you look at horror and how it was gay, and gay filmmakers and women talking about otherness and then and that was based on gothic texts by queers and women talking about otherness and lusting for the other and identifying with the other and being the other um it, it's so funny now where it's like now i'm like this isn't even a subgenre. this isn't a, a sub community this is what the actual 
horror is queer and it is a queer art form Mm -hmm. and it's a feminist art form too now uh it's becoming even more so of one um so i really i just i just have so many feelings i want to bake a cake of rainbows and smiles (laughs) (laughs) but that said i am much more of an asshole now too where like you i mean you say you're not going to watch things but for me i will watch things and then i get really angry because it's why are we going back why are we wasting our time with stories that aren't going to completely shift the narrative and that aren't powerful right um which even ties into my love of trash films where it's like if a film is is so bonkers out of its mind and doing things so much more uh taking so many more risks than a mainstream film that is going to gain awards and get prestige i'm much rather going to watch something that is completely wild and taking chal- and taking risks and challenging me it, even in in its ineptitude than i'm going to watch something that people are creaming themselves over because it has a A-list male director's name on it or something. Right. So, yeah, I've become more exacting. I've become more of an asshole, but I also just have so much more of a greater love for it. And that's why I'm so hard on it is because I believe in it so <laughs> much. I We've blathered about these things for so many episodes that people are probably bored. Oh, well. But you know what? I mean, that's that's what queer horror is that's what it's about and that's also being boring that's the narrative that isn't getting out there is right yeah you know that uh that this stuff really does matter it really it it is intrinsically political um it is also intrinsic to the genre it's not a subgenre, and and it's why i love it and it's why i go back to it and it's why it's my favorite genre and it's why i think it's it's one of the premier art forms to talk about what we are experiencing as people Mm -hmm. so so i don't know and it's why I love our listeners. <laughs> I do love our listeners that they put yeah. up with our shit every week. Yeah. Also, like, thank. I mean, once again, thank you all for listening. Thank you for bearing through. I know, like, Great Value Slashers, we were just, like, silly and stupid because the movies were silly and stupid. And then we watched The Brood and then we watched Picnic at Hanging Rock and, like, wax uh, apocalyptic, philosophical, feminist, <laughs> sad, dreadful, anti-capitalist, you know, all of it. But, like that is that's the experience we're all going through and that's what these films are saying right and um i'm just happy that there's community for it because it it it, this sort of community and our listeners and this kind of engagement and this kind of thoughtfulness over films that people just look at as trash yeah is really it really gives me hope yeah me too you know we're not the only voices so what a strange feeling no strange feeling. Yeah. Yeah, good question to pair with Picnic at Hanging Rock. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, if you have another question for us, if it's why don't you shut up about these things, <laughs> feel free. Uh, we're on social medias, Instagram and Facebook at GaylordsOfDarkness.com. Or Gaylords of Darkness. I don't know. My brain is starting to get tired. Twitter, we're at Gaylords of D. Or you can email us at gaylords at gaylordsofdarkness.com. Um, I would like to have a quick thing about myself, which is that <gasps> I did mention, well, earlier I mentioned, you know, nobody reads Final Girl, whatever. However, Final Girl is nominated for a Rondo Award um, this yes! year. Yes! For Best Website. And I'm only bringing this up because I just got a reminder email about it. Um, but Final Girl is a nominee for Best Website of 2019 in the 18th annual Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. Um, 
Is it the best website? Who can say? That's not for me to decide. I don't think so, but whatever. But if you'd like to vote for it, you can still do it. Um, if the the awards, there's a ton of categories. The Rondo website is always a chore because it's all listed and you have to email your votes. There's no like clicky voting, but it's at rondoaward.com. R-O-N-D-O award.com. Um, and you can email your choices. And if you want to vote for Final Girl, you like Final Girl, feel free. I'm just throwing it out there. We should link that uh, voting page with the nominees um, on the Twitter and the Facebook Oh, yeah. Too. That's a good idea. <laughs> I haven't even mentioned it on Final Girl. I should do that, too. You should probably do that. <laughs> I'm bad at this. Oh, well. <laughs> no, I'm so excited you're promoting, prom- promo- promoting that. Promoting it. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's wonderful. And also, congrats. It's really cool to be nominated. Thanks. I'm cool. To, uh, I'm happy to be nominated. I think so. Final Girl deserves it. It's my well, favorite horror website. I could post more, you know? I could post more. Uh, hello, 30 Days of Suspiria. If that does not deserve a Rondo Award just for that feature. I do think that deserves something. I personally think it deserves a book. Hmm. That's all I'm going to say about that. Interesting. So we'll we'll link that. Uh, please go and vote. It's uh, it's it's uh, awesome. It'll, and yeah, cool man. Um, Stacy, we just got a, a tweet sent at us. Oh, we did. Insensitive Chad tweeted and said, "Really don't have a desire to listen after that shit ass <laughs> picnic at Hanging Rock episode and its identity politics. I'm skeptical your podcast can make an episode that cares more about a quality film than getting its agenda pushed. I don't want to be told how to feel. I just want to enjoy a podcast." Wow. Jason Blum also tweeted back and said, "I hear you and agree. I'm taking away the fifty dollars I was going to give you." <laughs> Oh no, our Kyle Richards movie. P.S. Go see the hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right to me. Yeah. Horror bro's gonna horror bro. Horror bro's gonna horror bro. And you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna take off that corset. We're gonna take off that dress. We're gonna take off our shoes. Yes, Edith, without our fucking shoes. And we're gonna <laughs> crawl into that Yonic rock and we're never coming back. That's right. The red clouds Bye. for days. Bye bye. Wow, for a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, Is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, Oh oh my my god! God. Oh Oh my my god! God. Tune in next time for more Game 